resume. So over lunch, I had a quick look through the um, the agenda, and I think we've probably covered a lot, probably in parts, all of the questions to some degree. Um, so we'll just kind of carry on as we are, um, and then we can just pick any other little bits up at the end. But I think, yeah, we, we seem to be covering all of them generally, and some have probably been dealt with completely. So I think before lunch we'd got as far as Mr Hill. So. Thank you, Mum. Um, a lot of the substantive points have obviously already been covered, so I won't um, revisit them again. Um, just really to point out, when you look at the um, you look at Uttlesford and you look at the spatial strategy, you look where the settlements are, you look where the growth is going. It's a clear, clear pattern along sort of the M11 corridor, the A120 corridor. But when you look to the east of the settlement, uh, the, the district, sorry, you see there are a substantial collection of more rural settlements, and it really is only Thaxted that is in the, sort of the upper echelons of the settlement hierarchy. And then when you look at the, the sort of proportionate level of growth in the, um, in the allocations, uh, there does appear to be um, a significant disconnect, because Thaxted does act as a sort of a key service centre for the little Bartfields and the little Samfords around it. It's got uh, a very nice high street school, uh, petrol garage. It, it does serve that purpose well. Um, and I would suggest that the 20 dwellings is, is nowhere near enough. Um, and I think the option to be in the updated sustainability appraisal um, does actually identify there are potentially... Um, suitable sites um, in and around the village um, and just to come back on the neighbourhood plan that was made um, earlier this year and the potential for increasing the level of development across those areas um, to my knowledge the, the neighbourhood plan just, just makes provision for 20 dwellings Uh, thank you. I do have a, a number of points to cover, um, but perhaps I can just direct you to the questions that I'm answering as I go through. I'll, I'll try and be brief. Um, just on back to question two, in terms of growth in villages, now there are a couple of points on this that I just wanted to raise. If I can take you to um, paragraph 3.38 of the plan, that obviously sets out the type A villages uh, very clearly. And then 3.39 sets out the type B villages. At the end of paragraph 3.39, it says there will be no new allocations for housing development in type B villages in the local plan. If I can then just take you back to the table at the bottom of policy SP3, on page 34, when you go down, you've got type A and type B villages delivering 134 units. So there is a question, I think, that needs to be asked to the council, should that just be type A only? If there's type B villages in there, is it anticipated that 
uh, units would still come through as windfall in those? Uh, and, and are we at risk again of, of double counting with windfalls? I think we just need some clarity on that as to how that comes through. Um, taking um, further the, the comments just made, my client has a site in Takerley. Um, obviously, we're not talking about specific sites, but Takerley is in the same uh, situation as Thaxted, in that it's only allocated 20 units in the, the plan period from 2017 to 2033. Um, I am obviously acutely aware of the fact that Takerley has had a large amount of units uh, built there in the, in the past um, since the start of the plan period. Uh, however, I'm not aware that there is an issue with empty homes or, or a lack of demand in um, Takerley. And I'm aware that there's an allocation that is that 20 units, but in, uh, in reality, that only equates to over the 16 years left in the plan period, 1.25 homes per year, which strikes me as being extremely low. We're not in a situation where we have a more granular uh, view of housing demand in the different parts of the district. We're, we're still at that. The Schmar covers a wide area. So it's difficult to, and I don't offer any evidence on that and haven't in, in, our, in our submissions. But it does strike me that there's demand. There is, as you are aware, Mum, acute demand for affordable housing. And that will be within all of the villages, key villages and type A and type B villages. If we are setting the bar so low in those areas, are we at risk of not providing the much needed affordable housing in those areas coming through? So I just wanted to leave it at that. That's, that's my response on, on question two. Um, just moving on through then um, to question five, in terms of the council's approach to defining uh, village envelopes and whether that's been justified or effective. Now, obviously, I'm aware that we're not in a situation where we're dealing with large parts of Greenbelt within this authority and we're not uh, grappling with substantial exceptional circumstances, thankfully. Um, but in the framework that this is being examined against, the wording around um, Greenbelts and exceptional circumstances is, I think, quite a pragmatic viewpoint uh, that when you are thinking about boundaries, but that is in greenbelt terms, you need to have regard to their permanence in the long term so that they're capable of enduring beyond the plan period. Now, I would say that that approach still needs to be taken if you were not in a greenbelt situation. And I think the, one of the issues is, in, is that in drawing the boundaries so tightly around villages, the council have left themselves in an exposed position to potentially addressing what we've identified as an issue with five-year housing land supply and supply in general. And if you were to take a slightly more flexible approach, you may well find that you encourage windfall allowances to come through in some of those areas where it's appropriate. And we've heard from the council that there's been further erosion of windfall, so that's another issue that needs to be resolved. That's question five dealt with. Um, just then on to question six. In our uh, submissions to you, 
we've made reference to a document uh, produced by Litchfields back in 2016. And I think a number of people have actually made reference to this document. It was uh, prepared in 20, 2016. It's called Start to Finish. How quickly do large-scale housing sites deliver? And I feel it's a very good document. I would, I would recommend uh, a read if you haven't already. Yes, and I think we'll probably deal with that quite a lot the week after next. I suspect that's going to be a hot topic. Yes. My, my only um, reason for bringing that up in this instance is in relation to the garden communities and whether it's realistic in terms of the provision of homes. Now, there's a very helpful um, summary in that document uh, where it sets out that they actually assessed 70 sites and the average lead-in time for large sites prior to the submission of first application was 3.9 years. And the average planning period of schemes uh, for 2,000 plus dwellings was 6.1 years. And I would just take you back to Appendix 5 of the Council's matter statement. It, in my mind, there's still a significant amount of uncertainty around this with the DPDs and how outline applications are coming forward. I feel it merits significantly more scrutiny in this examination. But in there, the only facts that we really know are that they, the council have suggested that they are commencing work on the outline planning applications in April 2020. That's commencing work. Uh, uh, and there's three of them to do. This is a lot of work. Uh, and in my mind, to bring forward an application, really in any, in any meaningful outline application on a scale of that type would take at least a year, at least probably more and we've heard earlier someone else was mentioning it that we can then see that there'll be a formal decision on that outline application by December 2021 so if we envisage that it wouldn't get an application in until April 2021 well that's really not very long uh, Litchford say 6.1 years the council are saying six seven months I think there's a, a fair degree of um, difference between those. Uh, and then uh, that's to bring... Oh, sorry, 3.9 years bring forward the application. Then the, the approval period that Litchfield is saying is 6.1 years. And, and the council is saying they would have approval by December. So there, there are some significant differences in that that I feel really warrant further scrutiny. Those are outline applications, and again, they will need reserve matters applications. The council is saying that the first phase reserve matters would be March 2022. And I would just take you back to the housing trajectory that you've seen um, a number of times, and that diagram one, and we've got 100 units from the garden communities in 2022-2023 but we're not putting the first phase reserve matters in until March 2022. And then to deliver 100 units, I just don't see how what we're being told by the council in terms of the timetable compared to what's shown in the housing trajectory marry up. They just don't. The, just moving on from that, I've, I've said enough on that basis. One other thing, though, is that um, 
Mr Koski took you to the Letwin review, which you're well aware of. And, and within that, obviously, it talks about market absorption rates. But, but clearly, there, there is an issue. Well, there's, there's a fact, really, that when you look at the position of the, the two kind of market towns in the south of the borough, um, when you look at Eastern Park and west of Braintree, they are not that far away from each other along the A120. And I feel that there is a level of market absor absorption between those two actual garden communities that needs to be considered in terms of the substantial amount coming through. And again, just turning back to that helpful Litchfield's report, another key headline in that is the average build rate for schemes that they've assessed. This is across 70 schemes, and that uh, the average build rate was 161. The highest build rate that they found was 321. And again, I would just refer you back to the trajectory of what is being shown in terms of delivery, and that's regardless of any conclusions you might reach on market absorption. Those are higher than the very helpful research that Litchfields have shown. And again, I think that it's not just the timing, it's not just them bringing forward a planning application. There's a, a question around resources of the local uh, planning authority to deal with three substantial planning applications as well. It's a question of when they get those planning applications, if they come through without challenge in terms of delivery, what's being said in terms of the actual reality. Um, two final points then. Uh, in terms of uh, question seven, uh, windfall allowance. Um, again, we've heard some evidence on, on windfall already. Um, I would just take you again to the topic paper and the consideration of the windfall allowance for Uttlesford. This was produced back in March 2017. And table three, no, not table three, apologies, table four gives you the, the dwelling by types of windfall sites and um, helpfully sets that out. Now, there is in there um, an amount that's come through from change of use, and, and you will be aware, as many others in this room are, there has been a high amount of windfall sites from change of use through office to residential conversions. That has been used as, a, as an instrument to produce more housing. But there is only a finite supply of suitable sites for that, and I think there needs to be more scrutiny in terms of that windfall allowance against what has been delivered uh, from office to residential in the past, whether the council have or are going to bring forward any Article 4 directions to reduce that, and if they feel that there's a level of delivery from that that would continue. Um, and then finally, your question eight, um, should the plan include more small and medium-sized sites in order to provide greater choice and flexibility? Well, yes, is the answer. But really, it's in regard to what we've heard already over the past three days, the, the doubts over delivery, particularly in regard to the garden communities. But not just that. We are well aware now of the fragility of the five-year housing land supply that is being presented to you at the start of this plan period. And I think with that in mind, there, there does need to be 
much more flexibility and, and greater choice in those small and medium size sites. Thank you. Thank you. Do you want to respond to any? One of the points particularly, was something I had on my list of questions, if nobody else raised it, was the office to dwelling conversion. And I've come across that in other examinations, that it is generally a finite resource that, um, you know, the ones that are able to be converted and whether that's been factored into the assumptions. Um, so, I, table four in, in, that, in that document referred to, um, the third column there, change of use, just looking at that column, there, there is no particular tail-off um, or, or evidence that uh, the, the dwellings from this source is, is reducing. Um, yeah, that would be my main point there. Thank you. But you've done no analysis of whether what percentage of those have come from... Um, I mean, do you have sort of any large-scale office developments that have changed, that you're aware of, that have come through the PD? Uh, no. no. And it, it varies across different areas, doesn't it? But, uh, yeah. yeah, well, I mean, just looking at the numbers there, they're... they're, they're fairly they're, small. They're all, yeah. yeah, fairly small. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, let me just make sure I don't want to pick up any other points. Right. It's only a, a general point, but I'm sure you've heard the argument that that proposition uh, that, well, uh, if you're relying on a particular source, it's a diminishing supply. It used to be said about previously developed land, where local authorities relied on a certain contribution of previously developed land. And we said, ah, yes, but it's a diminishing resource. Mm -hmm. And yet the figures never seem to bear that out. And essentially, I think what Mr. Miles is saying is that if you look at the actual data for... Um, Uttlesford, the figures don't bear out that there's less coming forward from that. It's just a, as it were, a, you can see from the figures that it's not a trend. No, there's not uh, so yeah. I think it depends, doesn't it? One of the um, examinations I was at was in a, a larger urban area, so mm. they had sort of big office, block, office mm. blocks, but they, they accepted that there, was a, there wasn't a limitless supply of mm. those, or, or not the ones that would lend themselves mm. to conversion easily. So... Mm. I think it depends in, in different areas, mm. doesn't it? So. The, the point made about green belt boundaries should endure beyond the plan period and therefore village, village frameworks yes. should uh, endure beyond the plan period, I, I, that's not something that the council accepts. Um, the, the review of the, the, the amends to the village framework to in, inform this local plan are to... In, uh, intended to endure during the plan period. But future reviews of the local plan uh, will look at the village frameworks again and look at the sites that come forward again. And that's the quite uh, normal and proper way of doing things. To, to, to a review those, would that require, or, or to even look at other um, options of sites, would it require a, a more fine-grained Greenbelt review, do you think? Or uh, well, the Greenbelt only affects... Uh, it's a, it's, it's a very small part of, of the district. Um, and the, the policy uh, implication of that is that we should, in the first instance, not be looking in the green belt. We should be looking in the... Uh, around, in the last the, resort. Kind yes, of. exactly. In, in order to demonstrate exceptional circumstances, if there are other, are other sites elsewhere outside yes. of the green belt, we shouldn't be looking in the green belt. Um, 
And one point on the uh, Litchfield start to finish document um, to note that uh, the figures um, uh, Mr Black referred to are, are averages in the document and there are of course developments which come forward quicker than the average by, necess by necessity. Thank you. Mr Hollingsworth. Uh, thank you, Mom. Um, I'm just conscious it's been put to you a number of times that one of the reasons well, reason why this plan should be allocating more small and medium sites is because of the concerns about the delivery of garden communities. Um, I just wanted to, to make clear our, our position on that is that re regardless of the soundness of the approach to the garden communities, there still needs to be additional small and medium sites. I mean, the MPPF is very clear on the, the approach to um, supporting rural settlements and, and services, and that's an, an entirely separate issue to, uh, to, um, to garden communities, which clearly aren't contributing towards those communities. Um, I mean, the, secondly, the, the council appeared to suggest this morning that uh, the lack of provision of housing to, to rural communities for this local plan isn't an issue because the neighbourhood plans will deal with that. I think a number of concerns about that approach. I mean, firstly, I'd question whether that's actually an effective approach. How will that actually ensure that that support, this, uh, supports those communities? Um, secondly, and in any case, as per paragraph 28 of the MPPF, which discusses how we should be approaching and supporting rural economy, it's very clear that local plans and neighbourhood plans should seek to achieve that. It's not an either-or situation. Thank you. Is that... uh, sorry, um, separately, well, just on, on Greenbelt there. I'm conscious, uh, again, the, the council said that only a small proportion of the district is Greenbelt. But the, that small proportion does contain uh, individual settlements, which are, again, their own distinct separate communities. Um, development elsewhere won't support those settlements. And um, you'll... You, of course, will be very familiar, I'm sure, with the, the Cowleton judgment and looking at exceptional circumstances. And one of the factors that says we should look at when looking at whether exceptional circumstances are not simply, as the council put it, whether there are other sites outside the Greenbelt, and, and if there aren't, we should bother looking at the Greenbelt. It's, it's, more, um, it's more, a little bit more complicated than that, if you like. Um, we have, we have to look at how, as Kelton makes clear, whether sustainable development can be achieved without incurring into the greenbelts. And I would question whether sustainable development can be here, particularly in light of Hatfield Heath being a key village surrounded by greenbelts. And at the moment, the, the spatial strategy at 3.118 of the submitted plan simply leaves the growth of Hatfield Heath to limited infilling. 
and the redevelopment of sites within the, the development limits of the villages. And I'd question whether that does deliver sustainable development. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Mr Bampton. Thank you. Um, my main concern about the Garden City's uh, settlements with this is the lack of choice and the lack of quality that will result. And I would imagine it will almost certainly cause market saturation because the demographic purchaser of garden community properties are largely the same. You normally end up with young families buying them. Um, they're primarily buying them because they help to buy is available. Um, which should be noted is due to end in 2023. So I think you'll probably find these delivery targets that have been set out, which are based on assumptions that are developments that have been using help to buy are far higher than will be achieved if help to buy no longer exists. Um, the second part of that is, is the quality. You know, it's all over the BBC News in recent months that how the quality of volume house builder houses is slipping um, and the number of complaints are rising. And, you know, this just points out that if the council want to be able to viably deliver houses, they need to be um, doing it on smaller sites where smaller house builders are delivering a higher quality product that provides a range of choice in line with both the current MPPF and the future MPPF. Um, I'd also suggest that self-building custom housing has a, a massive part to play in this um, because, again, it allows the flexibility of choice. Um, you know, we ourselves are involved in a number of self-build schemes where... It, it's often people who have particular personal circumstances to why they want it, you know, commissioning a bungalow for the later years of life, um, installing a lift because they have a disabled child or they are becoming disabled. Um, and this actually links into the settlement boundary point because the, one of the best ways to deliver self-run custom houses is to, to draw settlement boundaries looser so that uh, more windfall sites come forward. And I, I share the concerns that were raised earlier that the windfall projections are optimistic in this plan, um, but they don't need to be optimistic because they could be achievable if they drew the settlement boundaries looser. In fact, you could probably up the windfall allowance if they did that. Um, I'll use an example of a site that I've just put a planning application in for. It's in Wick and Bond Hunt. I've just put in an application for three, three small houses, which, uh, sorry, three houses that will will ultimately probably end up being self-built houses for individuals. Um, the site is surrounded on all four sides by residential houses. Um, it is adjacent to the settlement boundary, by, but outside of it. So it is considered the open countryside. And if an Ottlesford were in a position where they had a five-year housing supply and a defendable plan, it would not be a site that they would look favourably on. Now, that site's not unique. There are sites like that all over the district in all of the settlements that can all take houses with minimal impact. You know, if you can build houses which are in areas that are already surrounded by houses on less suitable land, surely that's preferable to eroding 200 acres of countryside to deliver a garden community that you know, destroys the character of the countryside. And you know, I think that's, that's where we should be looking, rather than this, this plan, which I think will destroy a district that I've grown up in and I'm very appreciative of. Um, I think that's covered most of my points, so um, thank you. Thank you. Mr Belton. Thank you, Mark. Um, both myself and Mr Cosgrove are going to try and cover our remaining points. I'm going to respond to questions eight very briefly in your question four, and Mr Cosgrove will respond on question six. Um, so just very briefly on question eight, um, I think you know from our submissions yesterday that we think um, that additional small and medium-sized sites are required, and I won't rehearse the reasons for that that we went through yesterday. 
Um, in light of the Council's offer to update Appendix 5 of their Matter 4 statement, um, firstly, I'd just like to say I think that's going to be welcomed, but two suggestions, if I may. Um, the first is um, in respect of what that update should include. And I'd just like to refer you perhaps to Appendix 4 of the Council's main matter statement, which is the uh, letter from Bidwells. Um, and I just reference the first bullet point in that letter, which very helpfully, I think, sets out the reasonable steps that are required between putting an outline application in and starting development on site. Um, and that first bullet point says, and I don't suspect these are probably in the right order, but it says you'll have to submit and get determined your outline application, you'll have to submit and get determined your reserve matters, you'll have to deal with your pre-commencement conditions, you'll have to market and sell the site to house builders, and then you'll have to deal with any infrastructure. And my suggestion would be that if the council are updating Appendix 5, that they extend the table beyond the point of the submission of the reserve matters up to the point where actually development is to commence, covering all of those points listed in Bidwell's bullet point one. And then I think we can all then clearly understand when we reconvene in 10 days' time or so precisely how the council are getting to the, the date of 50 dwellings on each of the garden settlements coming forward by 2023. And just on that latter point about everyone getting their heads around the additional material the council are going to issue, um, I think it would be helpful if that could be issued next week rather than on the, the eve or the day of the hearing sessions because there's going to, obviously going to be some figures that we're all going to want to, um, to, to get our heads around. Um, my other point relates to um, question four, um, and I know you said um, you'd like to um, deal with um, suggestions on policy SP10 in stage two, but there has been quite a lot of debate this morning, and indeed a little bit this afternoon, about um, the implications of the spatial strategy and concerns about lack of potential growth in villages and this idea of stagnation. Um, so I just wanted to very briefly, if I may, refer you to the suggestion that we put forward in our hearing statement. Now, as you know, policy SP2 sets out that development can occur in market towns, key villages, and type A and B settlements. And then SP10 effectively says that development shouldn't occur um, in the open countryside. Now, in paragraph 5.2 of the Council's hearing statement, it confirms that as part of this local plan process, it hasn't sought to reappraise those development limit boundaries. Uh, and they are effectively being rolled over, as I understand it, from, from previous local plans. Um, we've raised a number of concerns with that approach. We think that policy SP10 is too rigid, it's not flexible. Um, and we have referred you, ma'am, to a recent uh, policy that was included in the adoption of the Ashford local plan. Now, I realise I actually sort of summarised that policy and didn't provide you with a full copy of it, which I'm very happy to do. But effectively, what the, the Ashford plan said in policy HOU5 is that a policy should be included that allows flexibility and basically says that either near to or adjacent to village boundaries residential development can be supported in principle in the following locations subject to a variety of criteria being met and the policy then sets a series of criteria which is whether it's well served by public transport heritage impacts landscape impacts etc but it introduces an element of flexibility which i think will probably address a number of the concerns that have been raised by a number of um, participants today and when appraising or, or examining, rather, that emerging policy, the inspector found that it was sound and in doing so said that this additional flexibility not only accorded with Para 55 of the MPPF, 
but also gave the council a fighting chance, in a way, of meeting what it thought was relatively ambitious windfall targets. Now, in the case of Ashford, the, policy, the plan was looking to achieve about 1,000 dwellings through windfall developments. And as we've been through this morning, a very similar quantum of growth is assumed at Usselsford um, for windfalls. And again, I think a little bit more flexibility, like we've heard on several occasions, around the existing village frameworks would put the council in a much stronger position to achieve that windfall allowance that it is, it is assuming. So in your deliberations, I'd probably like you to... Um, maybe have a reference to policy HOU5 from the Ashford plan and see if that's an approach that you think might be appropriate in an Ashford context as well. Thank you. Uh, that, that's all of my submissions. I'll hand over to Mr. Cogger. Yes, uh, thank you, Madam. I'm going to focus on question um, six, and I don't want to repeat what others have said, but I want to address a particular point about the review mechanism that's proposed for SB3, which I don't think has been covered yet. Um, just by way of introduction, you, you know from our statement that we object not so much to the principle of the communities, the garden communities, but to the quantum, as uh, you've heard from many other people. And, and um, following your suggested form, I, I certainly agree, and we, we agree with Mr. Dixon, Mr. Kosky, um, Mr. Black and others who've addressed you on matters about delivery and infrastructure, and, and you're going to hear much more detail about that in, in forthcoming sessions. Um, and the focus, then, of my short submissions are going to be in that context on the west of Braintree Garden community, um, and particularly the concerns that you've heard about that and you're going to hear more of. Madam, do you have access to the Addendum of Focus Changes document? I do. Um, could I take you to that, then, and, and in the context of SP3 and whether what's proposed is realistic? Um, on page... Just a second while I... Uh, uh, oh, we've got... Yeah. <laughs> page, sorry. So it's page six, a focus change two. Yeah. And you'll see in, in light... This is principally in light of the, of the North Essex uh, inspector's finding that I referred to yesterday about the West of Braintree um, garden community so far as it intrudes in that district, but which has consequences for this, this district. Um, and... You'll see in focus change too, so far as SP3 and Chapter 3 is concerned, there's proposed to be an asterisk inserted, and then it's going to read in the text, following the examination of the North Essex Authority's local plans, there is an elevated level of risk around the delivery of Western Braintree Garden community if these risks, issues are not capable of being resolved, and should that restrict um, the Council's ability to meet the housing requirements, then the Council will undertake an early review of the local plan. And you'll see on the page offer, rather, perhaps rather tellingly, the wording of uh, the related SP5 has changed from what it used to be that the garden communities will be delivered. It's now the plan is to deliver. <laughs> and, and then you've got on, on just for completeness, if you go over the next two pages to eight and nine, SP5, there are similar changes uh, in relation to the review mechanism and focus change five also has uh, the, 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 the new proposed change that if it, if it becomes apparent that the West, Free, West of Braintree Garden community will be significantly delayed or is not deliverable, and should that, X, Y, and Z, then they will undertake an early review. So that, that's the proposed mechanism. In our submission, that is not a sound approach. Um, and a part, part of that is going to depend, that, that submission, on the evidence that you've heard some of and you're going to hear more of, and that test we, we looked at yesterday of reasonable prospects of timely delivery. And I accept that, and you'll hear submissions on that. Particularly in the case of West of Braintree, and what we already know and what the council have made their focus changes because of, I say it's also just unsound as things stand, almost without more. And, and I put it simply this way, that um, in relation to um, Uttlesford, it is plain as things stand, there are significant risks 
in respect to the deliverability of that garden community because of its cross-boundary location. And the sound approach would be that until, until such a time exists that there is a reasonable prospect that the essential infrastructure can be delivered in a timely fashion, it would be unsound to proceed with a spatial strategy that just assumes um, it will be delivered. Um, a sound approach, we say to you, would be to remove now, and we'd said in our statement, the 970 dwellings, in light of the update from the council, I think that would now be 640 dwellings that are assumed to be delivered between 2025 and 2020, 2033 from the west of Braintree community. We say you should remove them from the trajectory and do it the other way round, so that you, you might have, as we've set out in our statement, a situation where if the evidence does emerge, which plainly doesn't exist at the moment, as we know, if it does emerge that supports the delivery of that garden community, that, that can be considered as part of a review that can be built into the plan. And I, and I would respectfully suggest that is the only sound way to proceed. You've, you've got to grapple with the evidence now and, and form a view. That, that different, as it were, a reverse review mechanism would, would allow that issue to be addressed, which is, which is plainly not answered uh, at the moment. And the council's suggested approach of just proceeding that everything will be fine um, and will proceed and be delivered is uh, not, uh, not effective or justified and therefore not sound. Thank you. Do you want to come back on some of those points, Mr Miles, that Mr... I think some of the earlier comments were um, ones that have probably already been made, but Mr um, Belton talks about um, having a slightly less rigid policy to allow for potential more windfalls, and then the issue of the um, uh, west of Braintree site, and also about um, Appendix 5 as well, wasn't it, the first bullet point in Bidwell's letter? Uh, I will take them in reverse order. That's fine. <laughs> uh, so the issue with a reverse review mechanism, uh, to, to use that phrase, um, for West of Braintree is that Braintree District Council are um, in the middle of their, or in a pause in their examination now uh, and are considering whether to... Um, continue with uh, the West of Braintree Garden community. If we take it out of our plan now, then the, the, the I'll say joint plan, but it won't be a joint plan because our bit will be gone. The, the joint plan for that community um, will not be able to, to uh, proceed based on both elements of the site. By, by retaining the review mechanism we do, we allow for the fact that if Braintree continue to, uh, or sorry, not continue, choose to uh, continue with the West of Braintree Garden community, it can be planned uh, in a holistic manner. Uh, on the, um, the rigidity of the uh, frameworks, um, uh, the council doesn't consider that a, a more uh, relaxed approach to village frameworks is, is appropriate. Um, I note that it uh, that Ashford Council have uh, chosen to take that approach. That's a fairly uncommon approach. Um, most councils do stick with, with a, uh, a framework and, and, and beyond that framework you're in the countryside. We consider this is, is entirely appropriate. It gives certainty to, um, 
to the community, uncertainty to developers as to what to expect with their planning applications. Um, Mr. Belton also uh, insinuated that um, if we were to move to that, then our windfall allowance would be uh, justified. We, we put it that the windfall allowance is justified with the policy framework that we have. There's no indication, again, similar to the, the argument about the change of use, there's no uh, tailing off of our windfall allowance. We think that it will continue on into the future. Uh, and then on the Appendix 5 update, uh, I, I took from the, uh, the, the meeting, the meeting, the day yesterday, that we were to um, try and update it as much as possible to in include uh, additional, additional detail that Ms Parsons mentioned yesterday. Uh, and yes, I, I don't see why that couldn't start by looking at the, the first bullet of Appendix 4 of our statement as, as a basis of, of doing that. Okay. Just something else, these letters, as it was pointed out this morning from Bidwells and uh, Barton Wilmore are now sort of 18 months old. There, you don't have any more up-to-date letters. Is it possible to to do that, or does that take too well, we, we would. Uh, we wanted to have uh, discussions with uh, Barton Wilmore, Lansac, uh, and, and Grosvenor and their, their agents uh, in, uh, in seeking to update that, that appendix. Right. Would that be able to be possible before the next lot of hearing sessions? Uh, we would like to try and get it done by the end of next week. That would be good. And, and as somebody's pointed out, I can't remember who it was now, Mr Bampton, um, no, the gentleman was sat in Belton, too many Bs, Mr Belton. Um, yeah, the earlier the better for all of us. Um, Mr Worthington and I certainly spent all Monday travelling this week and it'll be the same again that week. So... Um, <coughs> You know, if it arrives Friday tea time, it's not not great. So uh, we will try and do it as, even as if soon it comes as in in bits. So it's better to sort of have it as soon as we can, and then we can sort of keep looking at it as, as things arrive. Yes. I'm sure that's the same for everybody. Brief point, just in terms of the way that um, Mr. Cosgrove put his submissions to you about sound and unsound, which sort of almost sounded like it was a a legal point, but the question of soundness, as you know, is simply a question of planning judgment, uh, and uh, certainly uh, it would be, in, in our submission, wrong to approach it on, as it were, a polarised basis of uh, uh, you, you can only conclude uh, that the council's approach is unsound, which was, I think, the way that Mr Cosgrove was putting it, um, because things are uncertain. Merely because things are uncertain doesn't stop you from planning on the basis of them. You simply build the uncertainty into your risk assessment and then you do exactly as we would say we've done in the focus change. You reflect on that uncertainty by building in a contingency and building in a contingency is a perfectly conventional planning response uh, to uncertainty. So we, we would suggest there's nothing unsound in the approach the council's taken. Obviously, we'll go on to talk about the deliverability issues when we come on uh, to deal with the details of the site. Yeah. Thank you. Sorry, can't see you. Yes, Ms Hutton. Well, thank you. A few comments from me under, broadly under question six. Um, just moving on from that discussion and the council's response to Mr Cosgrove, you remember on... Day one, uh, error four, uh, 
of the errors that I set out in relation to reasonable alternatives was the fact that option three, no garden communities, was not a reasonable alternative because this council was effectively in step and tied into west of Braintree with the North Essex authorities. And the response to the, from the council uh, to that point was, well, no, because that settlement can go ahead without the dwellings in this borough. That is directly contradictory to the answer that's just been given uh, to Mr Cosgrove uh, as in, in relation to why there can't be a reverse review mechanism, because the answer that's just been given uh, is that essentially that West of Braintree is dependent uh, upon, uh, Brain, upon Braintree. So I highlight that inconsistency and invite the council to decide, well, which one of those answers is correct. While uh, I'm asking through you uh, questions of the council, may I go backwards uh, to a point in the discussion uh, regarding numbers, in particular the numbers of houses which are uh, being set down in principle to come forward beyond the end of the plan period. And in response to a question uh, in response to Mr Dixon's uh, submissions earlier, the council said, well, it was, it's part of the strategy for development from the garden to communities to come forward later in the plan period. Uh, my question uh, through you, ma'am, is, is it or has it been a deliberate part of the strategy to meet needs beyond the plan period potentially 100% of those needs post-2033 via the garden communities, and whether or not the answer to that question is the affirmative, where is there set out in the plan or in the essay or any other supporting document uh, the reasoning behind that or the assessment uh, of those impacts? So that's just really uh, a question because I don't uh, believe that there has been such an assessment. And, and again, that was part of the submissions that I made to you on day one. On, uh, moving on from that point and um, continuing on the theme of so much development coming forward beyond 2033, if that is to be the strategy of this plan, we need to know now that these garden communities are going to come forward in their entirety. And that includes all the necessary infrastructure to support them. Uh, because if they don't, there's a risk of uh, three half-built, unsustainable settlements in this borough. So therefore, we can't simply focus only on the period to 2033. And we can't simply focus on the critical infrastructure as set out in the IDP. We also need to know that the necessary infrastructure and the important infrastructure is going to come forward over the lifetime uh, of those proposals. And it's very clear on the Council's own documentation that the delivery of North Uttlesford Garden Community is in particularly uncertain. For example, on the text of the plan itself, at paragraph 3.101, the local planning authority notes that the entire development cannot be built out without strategic highway improvements, such as the duelling of the A505 between the M11 and the A11. And it therefore suggests a cap of 3,300 until that occurs. 
problem is immediately obvious. Those improvements are unplanned, they're uncosted, and they're uncertain. It's not appropriate, we say, to kick that can down the road and hope something happens in the future. Because the principle for the entirety of those settlements, it's that principle that the council is looking to lay down now. There are, of course, other concerns in relation to infrastructure. That's going to be, those are all going to be explored uh, the week after next. And then finally on that point, um, there's been some discussion of the DPDs today. Again, I'm sure there'll be more discussion the week after next. The expectation is that the DPDs will provide key aspects of the garden communities. Now, if this is to be a plan-led system, those need to come forward first, clearly, uh, before applications are submitted. But what is um, concerning is that very many of the issues that those documents are expected to cover are matters that should be known and prescribed now in order to understand not only is the principle of development acceptable, but is, are these deliverable? Are they viable? So, for example, using SP7 as an example, the phasing and implementation strategy linking infrastructure with development, that's obviously a matter that's key to the deliverability of the proposal. Another point is the measures for achieving the 60% of journeys by active mode or public transport. Now, the transport modelling hinges on that. If that can't be demonstrated to be likely now, then it undermines the case for NUGC, uh, both in terms of sustainability but also its transport impact. It, it undermines the case now. That, that is something that has to be examined now and not once the horse has bolted and the principle of development has, set, has been set down. Thank you. Thank you. Mr Affa? Yes, thank you. Sorry, uh, I just, did, did the council want to come back on any of those points? Uh, just on the, well, the first point in particular about the con alleged or apparent contradictory nature of the statements... Um, the fact that option three was not a reasonable alternative because it didn't include Western Braintree and apparently the council is tied to Western Braintree. Um, my, the, the, last, the statement I made in, in response to Mr. Uh, Cosgrove did not imply that the council is tied to Western Braintree. It, it said that if um, that the... So, so the question is, are they developable? Do they need to be a whole to be, to be viable they, and developable? Or can they be... They, they don't... Well, the, the element in Uttlesford needs the element in Braintree in order to be right. deliverable. Um, the, that is made clear in, in our focus changes. Um, the op option three is a reasonable alternative to the council's preferred strategy. But it... it it necessarily includes sites which the council doesn't think is uh, are, is, is in the preferred strategy. So, so do many. Of, so do all the other options. Um, so I, I I don't think I'm being very clear, but I, I don't think there's a contradiction between the statement I made on on Monday and then the statement I made today. That's what I was trying to say. Thank you. Does that answer your question? To my mind, there's a very obvious uh, contradiction, but we can agree to disagree. I mean, the, 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 we can come back to this as well. In, yes, 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 yes. Uh, the other question, of course, I had for the council was with regards to the strategy 
and bringing forward so much development later, where do we find that That's in the strategy? That evidence base. Where's the evidence base? Yeah. The, uh, the, the two points out, where, where is it in the plan? I mean, the policies in the plan relating to the garden communities set out the full level of delivery and then the element that you expect in the plan period. In terms of where it is in the uh, assessment, the sustainability appraisal, at the risk of going back a couple of days, um, the uh, appendix, appendix 5 of, of that document, if we, when we discussed it uh, on Monday, we, we made the point that it did look beyond the plan period. Uh, let me... Page 392, I think, is it? Uh, yes, 392, um, You can see the garden community options again there. The, the delivery total is included in the table. And you'll recall when we, when we discussed the, um, uh, the appraisal findings, uh, there, were, there was wording in there that made clear that it looked beyond the plan period. I'm just trying to search for it now. If you check your notes for, for Monday, then uh, you will be able to find it. Sorry, I, I can't find it immediately, but... Um, Shall we come... We'll come back. I'll let some of the people speak, and then we can always come back. To... I, I can probably assist. I think it goes back to day one, yes. which was the 430, page 430 onwards. And I made the points that although in, in the places that cherry-picked the benefits of the size of the garden communities, but for example, landscape, uh, heritage, almost all of them, there's no recognition of the difference between 34,000 houses versus 14,000 houses. So somehow we've, we've ended up in equal landscape impacts, but over double the development. Um, and, and, and that's not assessed anywhere. But, but, but quite apart from that, and um, it, it's clear that there has not been um, an assessment of this extraordinarily long-term strategy uh, in the terms of, for example, meeting future needs, what those future needs might be, um, whether it's appropriate to leave it up to the garden communities but after 2033 uh, rather than other places in the borough, etc. All of the matters we've been speaking about today simply... Um, aren't assessed in the essay. I, I think I've, I've found the text I was looking for. Um, so if you turn to page 398 uh, of the essay, you can see against objective three, um, assessing the garden communities against the district's landscape character and townscapes. I'm, I'm taking North Uttlesford as, as just an example. If you read that, that paragraph, you can see that it is assessing the, the full uh, site against the um, landscape character and townscapes. So it, it's not restricting that, that assessment to the element of the site that we delivered within the plan period. Yeah, I think the point Miss Hutton was driving at that then when it comes to comparing it with the other options, 
whether those whether the option one was a in fact it's not entirely it's a preferred option it doesn't say what number there in page 431 what number was considered as part of the preferred option whether it was just the plan period number or the, the uh, whole yes sorry uh, skipping forward to that part of the essay uh, down the bottom of uh, that page you can see that it, it when we're talking about eastern park it talks about the ultimate capacity of 10,000 new dwellings and and again on on the following page um, it talks about the Eastern Park Garden community in the longer term having a greater impact uh, on the SSSI given the scale of the development. So again, it's talking about the, 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 the whole development. Thank you. Do you want to say any more? I'd just ask you to read those sections very, very carefully as to what has been assessed and whether that, that supports the judgments. And really, it is that very stark difference between, between 14,000 versus 34,000 and whether, um, for example, the same landscape impacts, um, broadly the same, uh, um, can really be supported. And I don't mean just landscape, I, I refer to almost all of the objectives, but I'm not going to take up time going through that. I'll leave that for you. Thank you. Mr. Ather, sorry I interrupted you part way. No, no, that's, that's no problem. Um, I'd just like to start with expressing the Town Council support for Mr Dixon's comments that were made earlier on in the session. This, this point in respect of the majority of development um, that's coming post-2025 um, is, is coming from the garden communities and significant allocations that are proposed around Great Dumbo. Um, this is of concern to the Town Council because with the exception of the garden community at North Uttlesford and possibly west of Braintree, although we've heard a number of issues potentially with that coming forward as well. The majority of development will be coming to the southwest of the district, principally round the, the Great Dunmo and wider area within that part of the, the district. It doesn't appear to the Town Council that this is a balanced approach. It doesn't appear that this is a solution that would meet the needs of the district as a whole or in terms of delivering infrastructure benefits that would come with uh, a more wider distributed pattern of growth that would include small and medium sites that could deliver and support infrastructure within the key rural centres and, and larger type A villages that have been defined. Turning on to um, this, this issue with the, with the DPDs that have been raised in respect of um, Eastern Park in particular and the timings that, that the Council suggested earlier that they potentially would be happier for uh, a planning application to come early in the plan process or, or certainly alongside the um, DPD process in, in parallel potentially. Um, I think Ms Hunton also touched on this essentially is that essentially the MPPF sets out support for the plan-led system. In the Town Council's view there should be um, an adopted DPD in place first of all that sets out those parameters um, with the opportunity for examination and input at that process as opposed to it just being a wholly developer-led approach through an application. Um, 
and the concerns that the town council have if the application comes forward and, and that is determined either alongside or prior to the adoption of that, that DPD. Um, particularly in terms of setting out that the infrastructure is so heavily relied on for that, that garden community. That's something that the town council would want to see particularly dealt with and, and taken forward um, strategically through that, that DPD process, essentially. In addition, if, if there are delays um, to the production and adoption of that, that DPD, that could result in dwellings from Eastern Park slipping off the back end of the plan. And again, that, that potentially raises questions around the, the deliverability of the plan overall and the soundness um, that, that that entails as, as well. Um, we also have support from Mr Black's comments that he made earlier in respect to the leading times for these large sites, um, particularly when, when you're dealing with large garden communities such as th that are talked about here, and in respect they're likely to be EIA development, which takes significant time. Um, again, that's a matter of concern for the Town Council because that needs to be set out and a bit more thought given potentially by the council in terms of those time frames, what the fallback position would be if there is slippage within that, that, that programme and, and how that would be addressed in the context of the plan overall or this plan we're talking about now as opposed to sort of just saying, well, okay, we can just undertake a local plan review and cover it off then. Perhaps a bit more thought perhaps needs to be put into that now about those time frames and the implications for slippage within that, within that programme. Um, th there's also been historically within this district um, a significant period of taking years for large major applications that have been determined historically in the past. Again, that's likely to be the case here when determining applications for these garden communities. As we've seen from, from the evidence from the Litchfield report, if we're talking 3.9 years for the average leading time, um, you know, several years beyond that for determination, already we're getting well into the plan period. And again, it, it sort of raises um, some concern for the Town Council, again, about that deliverability in particular. Um, particularly in respect of Eastern Park, one of the key issues that the Town Council have is in respect of infrastructure and also in respect of the deliverability of the... Um, rapid transit system that underpins that has been one of the major um, drivers behind that, that development. Um, and I'd just like, if I may, to bring in my colleague, uh, Steve Johnston, who, who's here to talk a little bit about that um, infrastructure side of it and the rapid transit system as well, if that's okay. Thank you. Is that okay? I wonder whether we're getting into really matters... That was that just that I was starting to yeah. think, yes, that I think we're steering into quite detailed matters that were probably more appropriate for the... Um, I, I couldn't agree more, and we certainly don't want to get into that today because we're, we're, we're conscious of the, the subsequent um, sessions that have been held on the detail. We don't want to get into that. It's more the strategic implications of that. Um, that, that Mr Johnson just got no, a few comments no, it, is, it is strategic but also uh, I'm on holiday in two weeks time I can't address individual sites anyway right okay uh, and uh, in relation to that there was a document issued which is the bus rapid transit for Ruttlesford on the 21st of June which was yes, only a week ago 
and to give us the opportunity of commenting on that. We can't rearrange holidays and things with that. No, the thing so to be careful is that we're not dealing with matters today that, we, that people will be here to listen to or expect to I, listen to uh, those other sessions. And... Uh, I, I accept that, ma'am. You can always stop me if you don't agree with Okay. Uh, that, that's a fair well, there's way. There's also the question of, from the council's point of view, obviously the council hasn't Prepared. brought its transport advisors mm -hmm. to assist at this stage. So I'm certainly not going to respond to anything that's said. Now, I have to say, I don't see why, if the issue is logistics and the um, person concerns holiday arrangements, and it's a point that really does relate to next week, I don't see, sorry, the week after next, why it can't be reduced to writing and then provided to you and to everybody else, uh, as opposed to being, as it were, hijacked into a session that it's not really to do with. Yes. I mean, what sort of other high, when you say the high level comments, are they strategic or do they sort of, it sounds as though they are specific to Eastern Park? And... Uh, no, not at all, ma'am. What I'm trying to demonstrate is in response to question six is the approach set out in policy SP3 providing a large proportion of new homes within garden communities realistic. Is, is it realistic that's the case? Um, uh, Ms. Hudden on the left here earlier on raise the question as, as to what has to be considered as at a strategic review. And we should be considering fundamental bits of infrastructure, particularly the bus rapid transit system, because it underpins two of the garden communities. And if that isn't to be delivered, then both sites fall foul of the MPPF in terms of paragraph 17 and 177, that they're not sustainable, they're not deliverable. And therefore, a large proportion of homes relying on those two communities is not a sensible strategy and it is not a realistic approach. It's not something that can be delivered. So that's really what I'm going to say. I said, you can stop me if you wish, if I get too specific or specifically talking about details that a, a transport response is required on. But essentially, I'm saying that that is not a valid policy. It's well, not think, a valid strategy. I think strategy. probably if that's... What you've said so far is fine. If you're going to go in more, into more <laughs> detail than that, then, then it's not. And, and there, ha there are people that are not able to make certain sessions, and we've been quite strict and had to say, well, I'm sorry, then somebody will have to represent you or you'll have to put forward a paper because it's not fair on everybody else at the table. Um, okay, well, I'll, I'll stick as... Let's say, if, if, I'm, if I'm getting into too much detail, please, please stop me, that, if that's okay. okay. Yeah. Okay, in which case, uh, as I say... The two of the garden communities rely on the, on the bus rapid transit system for which information was only sent out on the 21st of June and that information suggests that it's not been looked at properly and therefore doesn't underpin the two garden communities in question and, and indeed the whole of the, the network that relies on modal shift. My first concern is that if a, the bus rapid transit system is based and relies upon two garden communities if either of those garden communities failed and we've already heard significant uh, concerns about the Braintree one if either of those fail the whole system comes down and putting a number of houses into large communities I understand why it's done and I've done it myself over a number of years so I, I'm, I'm Steve Johnston I'm a transport planner and I'm have 40 years experience of developing and producing exactly these sorts of communities. I'll come on to that in a minute if I may. Um, the, the, uh, the issue with the, the bus rapid transit is if the one site fails, as I say, the other the site automatically fails as well. Um, the information that's been provided to date, and this is, it, this is in my response to the sustainability appraisal, 
Paragraph 7.17 of the sustainability appraisal states that the results indicate that the modal shift will help. This is talking about. Well, we dealt the, with the essay on. I appreciate on that. I appreciate that, ma'am. Yes, but it, it then goes on to say that the, the maximum stress level forecast for the A120 within the district still exceeds 100%, even though the most op optimistic 25% modal shift I assumptions think, well, yeah, apply. I mean, we're starting to get into quite technical data now that the council okay, would okay. Fair, fair enough in which case can I just raise one point at the, at the end the rapid transit document at, at on page 42 states that the demand forecast for the BRT services using a multimodal model demand has been developed the transport model forecast passengers for a single AMP is a converted blah 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 none of that evidence has been presented We've been asking for multimodal runs for over a year. We don't have any multimodal information to underpin either the traffic or the bus rapid transit analysis. And therefore, as it stands at the moment, two garden villages that depend upon multimodal shift, 25% modal shift, we have no evidence at all that's been submitted for that, and no evidence on the cost of the public transport systems or anything that based on that modelling. Without that modelling, there is no way that the plan can be continued as a sound basis. We simply don't have the evidence to demonstrate whether the scenario for garden villages is the correct one or whether lots of housing in lots of other areas would be a better solution. The evidence is not there. Thank you. And I'm sure when we deal with this matter the week after next, there will be other highway engineers here putting maybe similar points or... Um, and then the council will have their, their highways engineer here as well to be able to, uh, to deal with those points. Could, sorry, ma'am, can we just ask that that information is available next week before those hearings are, are actually run? What? what? The, the modelling, the, the detailed traffic modelling that's described in that report. Is that available? I'd have to speak with others to find to, to know that. Yes, and what sort of, I mean, some of this sort of modelling isn't really accessible to most people unless you're maybe a transport engineer. I don't um, it's a bit like when we were trying, somebody asked the other day for the background yeah. data on the Schmar, isn't it? All the workings out and things. I mean, it's if it's a reference to spreadsheets and that kind of thing, then that's, yeah, that's not normally the kind of thing that you publish alongside no. it. Um, I, I, I think, is it possible to maybe have a chat outside of the examination and find out what it is, is required and whether it's, whether it's reasonable to, to provide that? That might be easier than... I mean, we, we will certainly talk outside of the inquiry, but of course the, you know, the watchword here is that the evidence base for the local plan should be proportionate. Mm. Quite appreciate if we were in the circumstance of dealing with an environmental impact assessment for an individual planning application, you might expect more detail, but there's a limit to what is proportionate in the context of a local plan. To Mr Hopwood. Thank you, Inspector. I've got my moment Responding to question eight, I'm there at ten past three. And I want to say something a bit different to what other people have said, so I'm not repeating it. Whatever the strategy is for the local plan, it needs to be deliverable on the ground. Otherwise, why are we here? So it's not about planning to plan, it's about planning to deliver. And I've heard today, I wasn't around for the last couple of days, but I've heard today that it sounds as if there needs to be some plumbing or stop-gapping of the trajectory. So obviously there's bits of the trajectory that are not being filled by delivery at that point. 
Paragraph 68 of the MPPF, you'll know very well, is about small and medium-sized sites, which make an important contribution to the housing requirement, and importantly, they can be built out quickly. Now, I don't know if the last couple of days you've had a reference to a recent appeal at Watch House Green near Felsted. 30th of May in Uttlesford, 28 just dwellings. A, just a second, Paris 68 of the MPPF? Yes. Is this the new MPPF we're talking about? No, the old one. 2018. I haven't updated mine for the, all the little bits and pieces of Paris 70 and all of that. But there's so a par reference. Paragraph... 68 yeah. of the 2012, uh, yeah, 2012. That Mr. Hopwood gave you was to the July 2018 That's correct. MPPF, but we're under the 2012 MPPF. Yeah, but I so just wanted to say it's, it's an up-to-date document from government. But are we not saying that small and medium-sized sites are important? I think we are, aren't we? Well, I think what we need to be careful of is we work to one, we're working to the 2012, so okay. references to, with, to the, because um, it was something I thought, mm, I'm not sure that's right, that's why I just pulled it up. It's about small and medium-sized sites being important and early delivery and can be delivered quickly. So I'll move on, because... Yeah, I don't think anybody's arguing with the no, principle, but no. we need to make sure that we're referencing the correct okay. documents yeah. that we need to be referring to in this right. examination. Okay, well, moving on... Watch House Green is a very small hamlet near Felstead. Now, Felstead is a Type A settlement, um, and the inspector felt that even at that low level of category, 28 dwellings would be allowed to fill uh, a purpose because they don't have a five-year housing land supply. Now, what we don't want to do is go on for the next couple of years planning by appeal in Uttersford like we have been in South Cams for a number of years until they got their plan adopted. Uh, so what, I, what I'm saying is I think there needs to be some early delivery on smaller sites to help that. What hasn't been mentioned, of course, is the very important uh, issue of affordable housing. Because on, on the large sites, obviously you've got to wait a very long time for affordable housing. Smaller sites can do that in villages where they're needed. I have discussed this issue with the council's housing enabling officer recently. And she says that the highest house prices in the district are in the villages. Seven of those are the top villages which are type A and B settlements. The officer referred me to Uttlesford's quarterly paper called Housing Market Report. Now I couldn't see this in the core documents list or the library list. But it's, a, it's the most recent version of their up-to-date surveys, which shows that the highest average house prices in the district of 600,000 and above are in those seven settlements, out of the reach for many people. So what, all I'm saying is I'm representing a landowner in a Taipei settlement where there's been no housing allocation. It's got all the services and facilities you need to be sustainable. And in fact, it's got a health centre, which even Takeley hasn't got. And Takeley is a higher order settlement. So I can't understand why the council can't see its way to providing a bit more dwelling numbers in those settlements, and that would help delivery. Thank you. Let's come back on Mr Gardner. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to 
reflect on some of the points that have been made because it provides the context for what I want to say about the countryside. <clears throat> the, the numbers overall, I'm looking back at that trajectory that was looked at a long while ago now, and I'm looking at the front sheet. I'm not going to go into the detail. Well, the, well, I've got on the top of mine Appendix 3 housing trajectory. This information expands on Appendix 3 in the Regulation 19 pre-submission plan. I think that was something we had yesterday, wasn't it, when we were looking at... What, have you got the document number? Well, I've, I haven't got... It just, just says it replaces or it's provided in Appendix 3 of the plan. So perhaps it's Appendix 3. Oh, I see, yeah. yeah. But it is quite a detailed trajectory, much as you, you've held up. But it's, it's got a nice summary sheet on the front of it. So that's the Appendix 3. It's a coloured... Yeah, indeed. No, 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 no. This is a this is a table. Uh, if I might table assist, I think Mr. Garden might be referring to document one one oh three point one. Right. This was one we had yesterday, wasn't it? When we were talking about housing, land supply, and uh, OAN. Uh, so for anybody that that's that document, it, that's, that's it. That's it. That's a very, very useful page without too much detail, and I accept that there is clearly a big debate here about the, the impact of delivery of large settlements. I think um, what, what adults are seeking to do is extremely brave, visionary, and ought to be supported. The way forward in a, in a district like this with huge housing pressures is not to keep on tacking bits of development on the edge of villages or some such, or on the edges of towns. So I, I, I applaud their, their bravery, and they are, after all, acting in concert with others, as we've heard, to varying degrees. I think the problem is with the trajectory is that the housing supply, and I'm not going to go into the detail of it, begins to dip as the, uh, the garden settlements come on stream. But then it picks up. The preceding years before that, looking at this page anyway, shows what might be termed over-delivery before they come on stream with only a two-stage or two-step um, uh, base number steps up at that time from 568 to 704. Much of, much of that surplus carried forward would make up for the shortage. I'm doing a kind of a rough-and-ready housing land supply calculation and then of course you begin to move ahead of the target much of the problem much of the reason for that gap in the middle is because the number jumps from 568 to 704 in one hit what could be looked at is a more phased approach not two stages maybe three maybe four to balance what is the probably the actuality of delivery with the requirement and that way you avoid problems with arithmetic but having said all of that it still ends up in the last column with a surplus of 629 over what is required so the plan itself in round terms has got the right strategy <clears throat> and overall produces the right numbers we shouldn't be sidetracked by some short-term problems in the middle, which could be addressed by adjusting the, the stepping arrangements. So what I'm, what I'm going on to say is the attraction of Attlesford 
as a district, as a roughly, as a broadly rural district, one of the attractions, rather, is its market towns and its villages set in countryside. Begin to erode that and you change the nature of Uttlesford and you actually change the nature of this spatial strategy. So when I get to your question four, which seems to question whether the countryside should, be, should receive a degree of protection as it has done to date and is done nationally, quite frankly, and recognised as an important resource, is that instead of being flexible, and we had the Ashford example, which Mr Miles has already referred to, I've never come across it anywhere else either, and recognise that the attraction of villages is the certainty of where development ends, pretty much. There's lots of other reasons, but that's one of them. If you live in a village, but you think at any, at any time you're going to be ringed by a, or have another ring of development all around it, that all, not only um, upsets that village, but changes the whole balance of the quality of Uttlesford and places like it. So it's a major step to begin to erode the protection of the countryside. And I think the second part of your question is, um, and I'm not going to deal with SP10, I recognise that's too detailed, is should it be more flexible and is it, is it um, consistent with national policy? Now, the words in national policies, we all know, are not, not quite um, hard-hitting, but it, it recognises the intrinsic character of the countryside, and that's in whichever version of... Um, MPPF you're in so it is into, in, in my word in, although we are going ahead now to SP10 it's got that wording in that clearly is the basis for this overall policy of protecting the countryside and should be adhered to or else you're going to have a completely different Uttlesford that's it Thank you, before I come to Mr Cronk do you want to speak at all about a, a phased trajectory rather than a step so it would kind of go up in steps but a, a gradual um, so we've set out the, the justification for our step trajectory in, or was it yesterday's statement? Yeah. I think there's something in the plan as well, isn't there? Uh, well, either way, it's in, it's in one of the statements, but yes. the, the justification relates to the fact that the delivery steps up when we anticipate the garden communities to be delivered, um, the figure for the lowest, for the lower part of the step, is based on a previous um, uh, round of plan making, so it's based on a, on a real figure. And then the, the the higher level of the step is is, is kind of consequent on those two things. Um, I will try and locate the actual text as well. Just while he's looking for that. The point I'm going to make is, I'm guessing, I'm guessing that you're going to find some holes in the overall strategy for the numbers and the delivery and question mark over the garden communities. And that may, may require quite a dramatic change in the plan, which is to be regretted and avoided if possible. A way out of it is to look at this, this um, line of this two-step approach and think, well, if there were a three-step approach, does that begin to address the problem, thus avoiding a complete rewrite of the plan? 
It was question four yesterday. So presumably the council's given this a lot of thought in, you know, how you, how you step it, whether you sort of grade it or have a big step or, you know. Uh, yes, and we wanted to, to, to base our steps on, um, on, on elements of reality. So when the garden communities uh, come, start to come online, that is something new that's happening in the district which will uh, deliver a step change in delivery. I mean, it's kind of, it'll take a little bit longer than when they actually start, but we thought that was the, the appropriate time to, to put Trigger the step. The, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and similarly, the, the figure for the lowest step was based on based on something that we had thought about before, not, not plucked out of the air. Okay, thank you. It's 25 past three now. I don't know how, is there much more to be said? I'm just thinking about whether we have a break or whether we just carry on. I can see there's a few people got cards. Up. One, one minor, right, okay. I'm just sort of getting a sense check because we don't need... It's pointless having a 20-minute break if, uh, if people only want to speak for another 10 minutes or whatever. I'm sure people would rather carry on a little bit and then go home or... <laughs> whatever yeah miss meekins are you likely to uh, no it'll only take a, a few minutes right okay and mr hollingsworth is it a major right okay so i think we'll everybody happy just to carry on and then we'll just um finish yeah okay so we're up to mr cronk thank you it's a very quick response really um we've heard from the council that the implementation of the Uttlesford element of the western braintree garden community is totally dependent on braintree's um, majority garden community coming forward so therefore if the proposal remains in the plan you'll be totally dependent upon the actions of another local authority and indeed another local planning inspector we, we consider that to be unacceptable and accordingly it should be either removed from the plan or the reverse review mechanism um, utilised. Thank you. Thank you. I don't think we need to comment on that. I think we've covered it. Is it Mr. Tewings? Very, very briefly, I need to note that um, developments are planned across boundaries uh, if not commonly, then, then it is heard of in the past. And if the developments are to be planned across boundaries, then they are, then they are commonly um, dependent on the other part of the development. And as an example, I'll uh, reference northwest Cambridge, which is uh, across Cambridge and South Cambridgeshire, roughly half the development in each district. And hence, and, and you've got the focus changes to sort of try and uh, accommodate. Some of that. Uh, yes, and the focus change recognises the elevated level of risk. Yeah. Okay. Mr. Hollingworth. Uh, thank you, Mom. Just a very quick point on this idea that we could cure defects in the plan by introducing further steps in the trajectory. I mean, um, I think it needs to be remembered that the st stepping the trajectory is, um, as, as we set out in our hearing statements yesterday, or for, for the matter discussed yesterday, rather, it's, it's an entirely artificial construct which merely allows the council to present the illusion that housing need is being met. And so this idea that we just keep altering the target to meet what the council's plans deliver is, is frankly just nonsensical. Um, it just means we'll just keep failing to meet the need. Um, you could take it to an absolute extreme degree, and if the council wasn't delivering every, any housing, just, just keep lowering the trajectory. 
Um, so I just wanted to make the point that that was an entirely unsatisfactory solution and the, the, clear, the clear modifications required uh, do entail allocation of additional sites. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Meekins? Oh, no, Mr. Meekins. <laughs> yes, thank you, thank you, ma'am. Um, uh, yes, I'm Robin Meekins from uh, Barton Wilmore on behalf of uh, Eastern Park. Um, just three very quick um, comments. Uh, the first is, as, as expected, um, there's been quite a lot of questioning about uh, the three uh, uh, garden communities this morning, and I've, uh, I've um, resisted rising to the bait, really, just because um, next week we've got a specific, or in two weeks' time, we've got a specific day to go through Eastern Park, and we can work through all the, or can help working through all the issues that uh, people have raised, including the DPD uh, and uh, the implications of a requirement for one. Um, the, second, the second point, quickly, is just, uh, as discussed yesterday, we uh, would be delighted to help the, the, the authority work through um, the delivery timetable, and uh, 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 so we'll do that next week with them. And then the, the third one is, is just a, a quick one on um, Mr Gardner's point, which I, which I agree with. Um, again, you heard yesterday that um, most of the, the villages and the small settlements in the district are um, close to or at capacity, uh, and there's not obvious um, extensions to them. Um, and I think if you want to protect um, the setting and the character of those villages, then it, you're going to have to include new settlements as part of your spatial strategy, which the council has done. And it's even more important, I suppose, for the next local plan period, when there's going to be even more pressure to, to find uh, delivery rates. So I, I completely agree with uh, the strategy that the council has adopted and and Mr Gardner's point. Really, you're only supposed to speak if you're seeking some change. Is this I, I know, that's it, that's it. Right, OK. Thank you. Mr Bampton, you just put your... Um, yeah, sorry, just a quick clarification about a comment on yesterday in terms of uh, the suggestion that there are no suitable sites in the villages. Um, I'd actually suggest that the Council's own sustainability appraisal has identified in between option 2A and B a considerable number of houses. In fact, they identified the potential to deliver 4,914. And actually, if you were to allocate all of those, you'd only need an extra 1,193 if you wanted to get rid of the garden communities entirely. So I think to say that there are no suitable sites in the village is, is naive and wrong and um, is, does, disagrees with the council's own evidence. Thank you. Thank you. Mr Barber. Thank you, ma'am. Uh, it's a brief point, and it's in response to Mr Bedford's um, response to Mr Johnson, uh, to my right, in the role of strategic transport modelling. I'm not a transport planner, I'm a, I'm a planner. Um, but when a strategic transport model underpins a spatial strategy, understanding that model and how it relates to the spatial strategy is hugely important. And for Mr Bevford to suggest that that's a matter for development management is completely wrong. It's a key element, of, or should be a key element, of the evidence base to support the, the uh, spatial strategy. I'm not sure he said it was part of the development management role. It was more that it was, pro it was about proportionate evidence, I think, was what, well, well, what it, Mr Bevford He mentioned proportionate evidence, but yeah. I would have thought that strategic transport modelling, when... Um, significant infrastructure, including rapid transit, is uh, relied upon to deliver the strategy would be a proportionate 
part of the evidence base. So we'll come back to that the week after next as I, well. I, I, and I, I think I the council are going to try and look at that and see whether there is yeah. other, other evidence that can be made available um, and, and speak to Mr Johnson to try and work out what it is that he's, he's talking about. Which... The, the, the final point on that, ma'am, is that the, the experience of the North Essex authorities should be red flag enough to the council as to the role of that evidence base. Thank you. Thank you, Mr Bauer. That's has everybody. Yeah, I think everything that I had down as questions, if they weren't covered, has been covered. And, and as I say, there'll be much more um, finer, detailed discussions about the garden communities the week after next. Um, we've just got a, a shopping list of things that we've put together that we think has been agreed over the course of the last three days, and we thought it'd be just worth running through with the council. Um, to check that we've got the same shopping list of things um, to be provided before we leave today, particularly because we've only got a week sort of effectively between the next session. So, uh, yes, I, I've written up my notes of, of right, my shopping so list compare. from, <laughs> yes. from uh, Tuesday. I, I've not done today, obviously, or, or quite yesterday yet, but we can, I can do that in the next half an hour or so. Is, is that something we... Is that something we can do in liaison with the programme officer? Rather we could than... do. I mean, Miss Worthington's drawn up a list. We could type that up tomorrow yeah. and get it sent um, yeah. to Mr. Um, Howe yeah. to uh, to get sent over to you. And if there's any any disagreement well, with that, exactly, we, we can look through our list. And obviously, if we're assisted with your list, yes. and then hopefully nothing will fall through the gaps. No, because no, it's not made modifications that yeah. we're, none of those have arisen this week. Yeah. It's sort of a shopping list of things yeah. that we've said would be helpful, and you've said yeah. we'll do, you'll do one yeah. thing. So. That's fine. We'll do that then. We'll get we'll get that done tomorrow. Um, could, could, and thank you for that. That would be very useful. Could the could we be involved so everyone knows what's being what's on the list? Um, um, that becomes slightly more difficult. I think unless it'd have to become a sort of examination document, really, wouldn't it? If it was, um, it's just Louise a, is just nodding ahead or shaking. I'm not sure. You're not. We can do. You can do with that. Right, okay, that's fine. Thank you. Oh, you mentioned that, yes. Thank you very much. Thank you. Right. So that will hopefully appear by Monday. We'll try and do it tomorrow, but maybe by the time it gets agreed and things, you should be able to see it there then. And you'll be able to see if there's any work for you to, to want to do. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your help this week and um, look forward to seeing you the week after next. I think that's covered everything, has it? Yeah. Okay, thank you. Can I just clarify, you did say... Uh, at the beginning of this, sorry, you, you did say at the beginning of this morning's session that you were thinking of having next week's session starting at 9.30. Yes. The only question I've got in my mind is whether that should be so for the first day, the Tuesday, as well as for the other days, in the sense that obviously people here will have registered that uh, change, but obviously there will be people coming next week who won't have been aware of that. So there's a question of whether you wanted to start at 9.30 on Tuesday of next week or deal with that one as a 10 o'clock and then the following ones as 9.30. Like we talked about it with Louise and we're going to post something on the website because it's not next week, it's the week after. So, And I think Louise was happy she could email the, the people that were going to appear. Um, 
And I think we do have something on the bottom of the timetable which says that things might change, you need to keep, keep a lookout. And, um, so if there's any real problem with it in terms of people saying, well, I really can't do that, then we'll have to review it. But I think that first day as well was, is going to be quite a long session potentially, so it's probably better if we... Can you felt that was okay, Louise, didn't you, to, to do that? Yeah. Thank you. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. 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 Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.